0: On the subject of what we have here on this picture. Disciples of Jesus. A disciple is a learner and a follower. If you don't learn, you can't follow. Jesus said, learn from me. Matthew eleven twenty nine. And many times he said, Follow me. Many Christians believe in Jesus. It's good. We spoke about that in the morning the importance of faith. But a faith without works, the Bible says, is dead. What sort of works? We saw this morning. that there are works that are not acceptable to God. If I think I can please God by my works and make myself acceptable to God by my works, then I'll be frustrated. There are people who try because all false religions teach that. All false religions teach That by your works, you will be saved. By your works, your sins can be forgiven. And by good works, you are acceptable to God. And there are many Christians who teach that also. And there are many people in our churches who think that we also preach what all the false religions preach. It's not true. We're saved by faith. We receive the Holy Spirit by faith. It is not on the basis of works. But, if we don't have faith, then of course we never experience the supernatural miracles that God does for His children. We will just live a good life, like a good non-Christian. There are many good non-Christians in India, who live better lives than many believers, who claim to be believers. But, even though salvation is by faith, It's a faith that produces works. In other words, faith must come first. If there is no faith, works are useless. But where there is faith, if it's real faith, it will produce works. If it's dead faith, it will only produce words. There's a lot of difference between words and works. Christians are full of words faith there are words in faith The Bible says if you believe in your heart you confess with your mouth we confess our faith with our words for example we say sin will not have dominion over me even when sin is having dominion over me we say one of these days by the grace of God I will overcome that is faith like Abraham said I'm the father of a multitude Even though I don't have any son right now, God has said I'll be the father of a multitude. I will be the father of a multitude. And he became the father of a multitude. There is a place for words. But, if it is only words, if Abraham kept on saying I'm the father of a multitude and died without having a son, that would be just words. It was words that produced works. His faith resulted in a son that became the father of a multitude. So, faith must produce works and those works are works of following Jesus. Of learning and following. We begin our Christian life by coming to the end of Jesus' life on earth. That is the cross. That's where we all begin. We begin Where Jesus ended on the cross. You can't come, you can't be a Christian without starting there. And seeing that there on the cross he died for my sin. He took all my sins on him. Once I start there and all my sins are rolled away. And I have died with Christ and risen with him. Then, I go to the beginning of Jesus' life and start following him. So that is the true Christian life, where I begin, where Jesus ended with the cross. And once I've been forgiven and become a child of God, I go all the way back to where Jesus began his life and seek to follow him. Now the mistake that a lot of Christians have made is... One of two errors. One is to try to follow Jesus without first coming to the cross. I think Mahatma Gandhi was a great man. And I think he was a very sincere man. And I think he was a very good man. But he tried to follow Jesus from the beginning without first coming to the cross. And you can't do that. Then you become an imitator of Jesus. You can't do that. You have to first come to the cross as a sinner. If you came to Jesus as a Christian, (laughs) your sins won't be forgiven. You know, sometimes I ask people, even in our churches, the other day I asked somebody, when were you born again? Oh, he said, I've been a Christian from my childhood. And when he says that, I know he is not saved. How can you be a Christian from your childhood? You mean you were not born of Adam's race? Were you born of some other race? Do you know that there is no difference between a Christian and a non-Christian as far as God is concerned? And you come to Jesus as a Christian, He'll say, I didn't come for Christians, I came for sinners. And any of you who come to Jesus as a Christian, I want to tell you in Jesus' name, you are not saved. Please listen to that now, you are not saved, you're fooling yourself, you'll go to hell. You will go to hell. Because Jesus did not come for Christians. He came for sinners. But those of you who came to Jesus as sinners. Ah, it's salvation for you. The trouble with a lot of people is they have never come to Jesus as sinners. Or if they came, they came as pretty decent sinners. Sinners. And those are the biggest Pharisees in the church, not as filthy sinners. Jesus came for filthy sinners, not for decent sinners. If any of you came as a decent sinner, I want to tell you I have serious questions whether you're saved. If you're saved, you're almost certainly a legalist and a Pharisee. And until you get rid of that and come to Jesus as a filthy sinner. I don't think you'll ever make much progress in your Christian life. And the biggest problem is for those who have never fallen into serious sins. Now just because we haven't fallen into serious sins, doesn't mean that we can't see ourselves as filthy sinners. I had never fallen into any serious sins when I was saved, but pretty soon I discovered That I was the chief of sinners. Because of one reason. I saw that man looked on the outward appearance, but God looked at the heart. And when looking at the outward appearance, I was much better than everybody else. I was not a filthy sinner on my outward appearance. I was brought up in a good family. But when I, that's, that's when you look at it from a human standpoint. But when I saw myself as God saw me, I saw there was no difference between me and the filthiest sinner in the world. I really believe that. I don't believe there's any difference between me and Hitler. Can you imagine me acting like Hitler? You can't, I can. If it were not for the grace of God, I could do the most horrible wicked, sinful, filthy things that anybody on earth has ever done. And because I recognized that, my salvation was total. Some of you, I'm sorry to say, have not recognized that. And that is why your experience of Jesus is so shallow and remains shallow. Your fellowship with other brothers, doesn't become richer because you're a decent sinner. I am a filthy sinner because I saw my heart and I saw my heart was capable of every single sin that I saw anybody committing. I don't, I never did that because I didn't have the same opportunities he had and I didn't have the same upbringing he had. If I had the same upbringing he had, If I had grown up in the same slum he grew up in, I would have been a thief just like him. If I had grown up with the same temptations that those fellows faced, I would have lived the same debaucherous, adulterous life that they lived. I recognize that. What is the result? God is my witness that I don't despise a single filthy sinner in the world. I'll tell you who I have the biggest difficulty with. I don't have difficulty with adulterous people. I don't have difficulty with murderers. My biggest problem is with Pharisees. I think Jesus' biggest problem was with Pharisees too. Jesus never had a problem with murderers and adulterers and thieves. He constantly had a problem with the Pharisees and God is my witness in CFC and our CFC churches my biggest problem has been with the Pharisees in CFC and the Pharisees in CFC churches. Yes, it's a fact. I found it extremely difficult to fellowship with them. People have been for years who understood all the doctrine. I find no fellowship with them. And I think a lot of other people find difficult fellowship with them too. But they sit here. They sit in our churches. No interest in being disciples. Continue to be legalists, knowing more and more and more and more and more and more. I want to say to you my brothers and sisters, I invite you at least in this conference to repent, elders, repent if you are a legalist and a Pharisee and learn from Jesus. Humble yourself. It requires humility to learn from Jesus. He said, learn from me, for I am humble of heart. A humble person has no difficulty learning from Jesus. A disciple is one who learns and follows. He listens, tries to learn from Jesus' example, and follows that example. And if that is the passion of your life, I believe it can go exceptionally well with you in the days to come. There is no pit that is so deep that the Lord cannot rescue you from. You may be the biggest Pharisee in the world today. The Lord can save you if you will honestly confess it. I've heard people confess, Oh Lord, I'm a Pharisee. Listening to it itself, I know they don't believe it. They're saying it because somebody told them that. No. Ask the Lord to convict you so deeply That you go and mourn before God and say, God, I'm such a wretched Pharisee. Please save me from this. Make me a disciple. Otherwise, I want to tell you two things. One, you will waste your life. And already a lot of your life has been wasted. You'll waste some more. The second, God will never bear witness to your labor. You'll have a lot of work. But you'll never build a church in all your life you will not build the Church of Jesus Christ. you'll just gather people. You won't accomplish God's will. It's important that we become disciples and the greatest substitute for being a disciple is being a Pharisee. The Pharisee is one who understands everything and there are Pharisees in every denomination, I believe. Every single denomination of Christianity, including ours, has got its particular color of Pharisee. Pharisees come in different colors, but they're all Pharisee. There's a common feature about all of them, it's very difficult to fellowship with them. They look down on other people and they are legalistic about little, little things and they never get rid of that spirit. Even if they change the external form, the spirit of the Pharisee remains. Until you radically cut the root, cut that tree from the root and say, God, I want to be a disciple. I want to be a learner all my life. I want to see the glory of Jesus. Pray that you will see the glory of Jesus so that you can learn from Him and follow Him and make that the passion of your life. And don't worry about other people. Just learn from Jesus and follow Him. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, He said, Go into all nations, verse 19, and make disciples. Make disciples. Not converts. Disciples. Baptize them. That's why when people come to us for baptism I tell them, listen Do you know what we believe? Do you know what we preach? Do you really want to be a disciple? Please come to our church Come and listen for three months, six months And decide whether you want to go this way or not And if you want to go this way By all means we'll baptize you But if you don't want to go this way, you want to go some other way, some lower standard, preached in some other church, I would recommend that you go to that church and get baptized there with whatever type of baptism they offer. Because Jesus said, we got to baptize disciples. And if you're not a disciple, you can't be baptized. So, here he said, once you make, challenge them to be disciples, baptize them, make disciples, baptize them, and then after that, spend the rest of their life teaching them. They've got to make them learners. Teach them means they have to be learners. They've got to be students. For the rest of their life, they must be students. That's what we read in Matthew 28, 20. A true disciple... Is a student for his whole life. He wants to be taught. He doesn't want to be taught in order to go and preach to others. You know, there are many people, even in CFC and our related churches, who have heard me preach, who have absorbed the teaching so well, that they can teach others. But they haven't learnt it themselves. Do you know who God is against? God is against the proud. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 5, God gives grace to the humble but he resists the proud. But there is another type of person also whom God is against. God is against those who preach the messages of other people. Did you know that? If you absorb a message from another person and you preach it as if it is your own, God is against you. And that's the reason some people don't progress in their Christian life. We read in Jeremiah chapter 23, There are many people here about whom the Lord says, I'm against them, I'm against them, I'm against them. Notice what he says here. Verse 31, Uh, 30 sorry. I'm against the prophets who steal my messages from other people who steal somebody else's message, absorb it, and begin to teach it as if it is their own, to get honor. God is against such people. They may last for a long time, but one day God will bring them down. Because they seek honor. They are dishonest. They haven't learned from Jesus. They are absorbing the message in the meetings in order to preach it to somebody else. And I'm sorry to say, we've had examples of that even in CFC and related churches. And that is one reason some of them have never grown spiritually. They've grown in knowledge, their head has become huge. Like these little children who got hydrocephalus, water filled heads. Their heads are also filled with water. Huge heads. No lie. We shouldn't be deceived. A disciple is a learner. He's not interested in preaching messages. He's not interested in getting up somewhere and preaching a message to get honor. He's interested in following. He's interested in listening in order to follow. Not to grasp. The doctrine so that you can explain it to others. Let me tell you, my brothers and sisters, don't seek to grasp the doctrine in order to explain it to others. I've seen enough people who try to do that who made a mess of their lives. Please learn so that you can follow. James says, my brethren, James 3 verse 1, don't try to be a teacher because you will be judged most strictly. And that has happened. God has judged such people very strictly and they have fallen. Because God is against them. But God is never against a man who is learning in order to follow. He is against people who are learning in order to preach. Now many of you have come to CFC and its conferences for many years. I want to ask you in Jesus name. Tell me or tell yourself. What have you learned the truth for. Is it to preach to others? I praise God for a number of people sitting here who have absorbed the truth not to preach to others but to follow it. And those are the ones who have grown and they are not the clever ones. The clever ones absorb it to teach others and they are the ones who have ruined themselves. I say that as a warning. That is why I say, don't try to be an expert in the church. There are very few people whom God has called to teach. If God has called you to teach, He will give many people confidence in you. If people have no confidence in you and you imagine that you're a teacher, you're just fooling yourself. Get rid of that ministry. Humble yourself and be a follower of Jesus. And say, Lord, you have not borne witness to this fantastic ministry that I think I have. I want to be a follower from today. Seek to be a blessing to other people. That is more important. So when you hear the word of God in the conferences and the meetings, don't absorb it in order to teach it. Absorb it in order to be a learner how to follow Jesus say, Lord, I don't care if I never preach this to anybody in my whole life. I want to follow. I want to follow. I want to see the, you see those footsteps coming from the cross and the blood flowing there. I say, Lord, I want to see those red blood-stained footsteps. I don't care if I never preach anything or teach anybody. I want to put my feet in those red blood stained footsteps and walk in them to all such people I want to say this conference will be a tremendous blessing to you to all the others who want to preach what you are learning here and what you have learned here in the past I say to you you will be a better Pharisee next year than you are this year I'm sorry to say that but that's what will happen you can have your choice which of these two directions you want to go. Many of you have chosen one direction for years. You wanted honor. See where it has brought you after so many years. See where it has brought you after so many years. Has it brought joy in your life? Has it brought confidence in your life? Has it brought, has it brought other people to have confidence in you? No. What has happened in your local situation? Have you built the body of Christ? No. When will you learn, my brother? To start learning in order to follow and not learning in order to teach. It doesn't say there in that picture, learners and teachers. No. That's the way of Phariseeism. Learners and followers. Be a follower. And then you can say to other people, Brother, I don't have anything to teach you, but you can follow me as I follow Christ. And hundreds will long to have fellowship with you because they want to follow Jesus. Don't you want to be like that? Or do you want to be a continue to be a Pharisee? Why not turn back on that road? You took the wrong turning many years ago. You took the wrong turning. You came along as a learner and then you came to a fork in the road. One said, Followers. The other said, Teachers. And you took the wrong turning. You went as a teacher. And that's why you landed up where you are today. What's happening in your life? Your life should be on fire. Some of you have been believers for so many years, you should have been setting India on fire by now. What are you doing? Teaching. Teaching. You took the wrong turning, brother. Turn back. Otherwise you'll go further in the wrong direction. Turn back to the place where you began to seek your own honor and go back on the road of following and being a disciple and say, Lord, I don't care. If I never have a ministry, I want to follow in Jesus' footsteps all my life. And I believe that God will honor your repentance, get up in your church, publicly confess your seeking honor, publicly confess your lust for honor. Confess it just like if you had been living in adultery for ten years. Do you know that seeking honor is worse than living in adultery for ten years? Supposing you had been secretly living in adultery for ten years and nobody in the church knows about it. Don't you think it's about time you got up in your church and confessed it? Sure. Well, if you've been seeking honor as a great teacher or something like that, get up and confess it. Saying, I've been seeking honor all this time. Lord, I missed the bus. I missed the road. I want to come back. I believe God will mightily bless you and make you a blessing. So, seek to be a follower all your days. And never mind if you never have a ministry all your life. Supposing Jesus says, I'm not going to give you any ministry. You're not just going to walk together in life and you're going to follow me. Will you say, that's enough? You remember what the Lord told Peter? Peter said, what about John? Jesus said, that's none of your business. You follow me. Why do you want John's ministry? You turn around and say, what about that person? God says, that's none of your business. You follow me. Can you listen to that word? At least in this conference. Behold, says the Lord, I am against those who steal other people's messages and preach them for honor. Humble yourself. Confess your sin. Confess it publicly. Get rid of this impression you've given to other people of being such a holy man. Confess it. Confess that you're a thief. And maybe God will help you. God will honor your honesty. Yeah. I want to turn to John's Gospel. It says here in John's Gospel chapter 2. Verse 23, now first of all, I hope you all know John one twelve that all those who believe in his name, he gave the right to be the children of God. That's a very well-known verse, John one twelve. all those who believe in his name, he gave the right to be the children of God. Having read John one twelve, we go to the next chapter. And see, in chapter 2, verse 23, there were some people who believed in his name. Exactly the same phrase mentioned in John one twelve. It says there, when he was in Jerusalem, many believed in his name, beholding his signs. But listen to this. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, because he knew all men. He knew mankind to the core, the Living Bible says. He did not need anyone to give a testimony concerning any man, because he himself knew what was in man. So we see here believers to whom Jesus did not commit himself. They had committed themselves to Jesus, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew what was in them committed themselves to Him. They believe in Him. Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. In the world as He moves around in the churches, there are many who believe in His name. Many of you have committed yourself to the Lord. Good. The question is, has the Lord committed Himself to you? Look what it says. He did not entrust Himself to them. To whom? Are these unbelievers? No. They believed in His name. Verse 23. As many as believed in His name, He gave the right to be the children of God. Don't you believe? Aren't you a child of God? But you're not a disciple. Why doesn't Jesus commit Him? Why didn't Jesus commit Himself to some people then? Many people. And why doesn't Jesus commit Himself to many people today? Answer. Verse 25, because he doesn't need any recommendations about anybody. He knows what was in man. And I want to say to you, my brothers and sisters, however painful it may be for you to receive it, please, I beg of you, receive it. It will be your salvation. Please receive this message that Jesus does not commit himself to you because he knows what you are seeking. You think you're alright but you're not. You don't have light on yourself. See there are people who say I'm alright. The world is full of ungodly atheists who say I'm alright. Nothing's wrong with me. I've met people like that. Unbelievers who say I'm alright. People of all religions who say, I'm alright, I'm God's happy with me. Nominal Christians who say, I'm alright, God's happy with me. There are believers in all denominations. We say, come out of Babylon. They say, we're not in Babylon, we're alright, I'm alright. There are people sitting here. You try to tell them something, they say, no, I'm alright. I believe all these people who say, I'm alright, really believe that. All these atheists who say, I'm alright, he believes it. The non-Christian who says, I'm going to heaven, he believes it. Have you seen these obituary columns in the newspapers? So and so died. Have you seen what's written underneath? He went to be with the Lord. Have you ever read an obituary column where it says he went to hell? I haven't seen that yet. In any newspaper, everybody who dies goes to heaven. They go to the lotus feet of the Lord, or to the Lord, or to heaven, or... I have never... If you see one like that, please show it to me. This man died and he went to hell. I have never seen one like that in a newspaper. They all believe they are alright. Just like you. You believe you are alright, right? Where are you going? To heaven, right? <laughs> Just like all the people in the obituary notices. You're all going there too. Every one of them. Everything's alright with your life, right? I say, well, why can't people have fellowship with you? Ah, it's because they have a lot of problems. They have a lot of problems. I'm alright. I say, God have mercy on you. When will you get light? I hope you'll get light in this conference. That the problem is with you. If you get light on that, I believe God will have been tremendously merciful to you in this conference. I believe one of, the, one of the greatest proofs of God's blessing upon our life, at least for myself I take it like this, one of the greatest manifestations of God's blessing on my life is that God is not my ministry. Don't expect me to say, oh God bless my ministry. No. The greatest proof of God's blessing on my life is that God gives me light on myself regularly. If I stop getting that, I know the blessing of God has departed from my life. That's the proof for me. (laughs) I don't know about you and as I get light on my life, I share that with others, that's what you call ministry. You call it ministry, I say I get light on my life. Does your ministry come out of God giving you light on your life or does it come out of reading books and listening to tapes and absorbing in your clever mind all these you know, some people have got such fantastic minds, they can filter all this and analyze all this and put it all in the different pigeonholes and present it so beautifully and be absolutely dead themselves. Yeah, but they're fantastic in being able to understand it. If any man wants to be wise in God's eyes, let him be a fool first. Don't ever think there's any other mark of God's blessing other than the fact that God gives you light on your life. In thy light, Psalm 36, 9, it says, In thy light we see light. How do you know you're in the light? We say we're all in the light. Well, how do you know you're in the light? You must be getting light on yourself. That's what it says in Psalm 36, verse 9. In thy light we see light. I can never believe that I'm in God's light if I don't see light on myself. What does it mean to walk in the light? If we walk in the light, we have fellowship. To walk in the light means, you see, if I am walking from here to Bombay, every hour, listen carefully, if I am walking from here to Bombay, every day I am getting closer to Bombay. Right? If you're walking in the light every day, you're getting more light on yourself because you're coming closer to God's light. But if you're not coming closer to Bombay and you say you're walking, then you're doing what in the military we call mark time. You know what mark time means? Stand in the same place. I'll teach you some military drill things here. Mark time means you keep moving, you perspire, but after five hours you're in the same place. This is called marking time. Left, right. Left, right. Mark time. Left, right. I I did it, I know. (laughs) It's a waste of time. A lot of Christians are marking time. They're not getting any light on themselves they are going to team meetings. They are getting a lot of light on other people. Nothing on themselves. That's the work of the devil. It means you are getting closer to the devil actually. Because the devil is the accuser of the brethren. He has plenty of light on everybody. Did you know that? Do you know the devil has got files on every single believer? And you want information on any believer? He will tell you. Particularly all the juicy Scandalous things about believers if you want any juicy scandalous information about anybody just apply it to the devil He'll give you loads of information He will send his agents to your house to flood your head with all that useless information I say no, thank you. I'm not interested Go and try somebody else I want light on myself and the devil's not willing to give me that Why is the devil not willing to give me light on myself? Because I'll be a threat to him. That's why he gives you light on other people. Never any light on yourself. And that's why God does not give us light on other people. He gives us light on ourselves. You can make out when a man speaks whether he's got light on himself or whether he's got light on other people. Yeah, yeah. You can't hide it. I've seen young people get up in CFC and speak like experts. God has never borne witness to one single thing in their whole life. But boy, they are experts. And they never seem to get light on that fact. One of the greatest proofs of it is this. One of the greatest groups. I'll tell you my own testimony. I have traveled to many, many places, many different groups, denominations. I have spoken in radio programs, conventions. And I'll tell you something. When people tell me, Brother Zach, we want you to speak for 20 minutes. I never speak for 21 minutes. I speak for 19, 18, or maximum 20. In your radio program, when they say, Brother Zach, we want you to speak only for 11 minutes. I speak 10 minutes or 11 minutes. Some place they say, we want you to give a testimony, 5 minutes. I speak for 5 minutes. I never go beyond that time. If they say 40 minutes, 40 minutes. But do you know, I have almost never seen a brother in any of our churches or elders who know how to do that. You tell them speak for five minutes, they'll speak for ten minutes. You tell them speak for fifteen minutes, they'll speak at least half an hour. You tell them half an hour, they'll speak for forty-five minutes. You've seen that in CFC. The elders will tell brother "Now only speak for one minute, minimum five minutes. Where does this come from? It comes from a swollen head that thinks, I'm not one of those one-minute people. What do you think I am? I'm an expert. No wonder people are sick and tired of listening to you. You have not understood authority. Number one lesson of discipleship, authority you have not learned. I challenge anyone anywhere in the world in the last 40 years to get up and say, we asked brother Zack to speak for so much time and he spoke for five minutes longer. Anywhere in the world I have learned to respect authority. If they tell me two minutes, I take two minutes, I've got a watch, there's a clock in front of me. It's a simple thing. but it is very difficult to find a brother who is humble enough to say, I'm not an expert. I will stick to the time given to me. I have rarely found such a brother. Why is that? After so many years of teaching in the church, of submitting to authority, of listening to Submitting and submission and taking up the cross and denying yourself. Why is it in practical matters in such a simple, easy thing like this? We can't submit. After all, it's an elder brother in the church. Or the pastor of a church I'm visiting who's telling me he's the authority there. I've got to listen to him. If he tells me to take off my shoes and come, I take off my shoes and go there. I I believe in submitting to authority. And I want to tell you, my brothers and sisters, that has been my salvation. You ask these elder brothers in Tamil Nadu and other places where I go to, I do exactly what they say. They tell me to speak for 40 minutes, I speak for 40 minutes. If you cannot learn submission to authority in a small thing like this, my dear brother, sister, don't imagine that you can follow Jesus in bigger things. It's a very small thing. But in 27 years, I have not seen anyone obey it in any meeting, in any conference till today. I hope it will be different from now. I've never spoken on it so strongly, but then when I see the lack of spiritual progress and I wonder what are the reasons, I'm trying to figure out what are the reasons why we're not progressing, why our churches are not more on fire for God, I come down to these little reasons that God says, these are the little things. There is no recognition of respect for authority. Everybody's a law unto himself. They're not followers. They are learning in order to teach. They study the Bible in order to teach, not to follow. I would recommend that you come back where you missed the road and come back and be a follower. I want to be a follower. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to never leave this road, that blood-stained pathway where I see the blood-marked footsteps of Jesus of death to self and all the high thoughts you have about yourself, slay it, let the blood flow there and walk in the footsteps of Jesus who sat in the synagogues for 30 years. Think of Jesus sitting in the synagogues listening to all those boring Pharisees preaching. He sat there when he was 25 years old and the father said to him keep your mouth shut. He kept his mouth shut. To me that is one of the greatest manifestations of the humility of Jesus that he could sit in those synagogues for 30 years and keep his mouth shut. How in the world did he do that? because he respected authority, do you want to learn from him or do you want to be a teacher or you want to be a follower and never come into the most holy place churches of followers of people who are seeing how jesus lives and seek to follow him how he submitted to joseph and mary for 30 years Can you wives learn an example of submitting to your husbands like that? I believe some of you sisters could have been glorious sisters in the church today if you had spent these years learning how to submit to your husbands. But with your stubbornness and your stiff necked attitude God has not been able to make you a blessing. To other sisters. You're just a person who comes and warms the seat every Sunday morning when God could have made you a tremendous blessing in your local churches if you had learned submission to authority first. I believe many of you wonderful brothers who have been in the church for many years, you could have been a tremendous blessing to many people if you had learned submission to authority first. Remember, that's the first lesson that Jesus was taught by his father for 30 years. That wasn't easy to submit to Joseph and Mary. But those are the blood stained footsteps. The blood of his self will was flowing every day. That wasn't only on Calvary. Calvary was just the last day. Every day, the blood of his self will was flowing, flowing, flowing. And there was a blood-stained pathway. Have you seen it? you want to go that way? That's a disciple. Now I want to turn to Luke 14. Luke 14 it says, He turned round to the great multitudes that were following Him in verse 25. And he said to them, If anyone comes to me, anyone in any century, and does not hate. Now listen, we, you know, I want to come back to this, because I remember when we started building the church in Bangalore, in 1975, August. Those early months, and on into 76. We had a number of Bible studies. We used to have about 3-4 meetings a week. We had a number of Bible studies. First of all on foundational truths. On repentance. Restitution. Faith. Water baptism. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. A lot of teaching. And then. We went on to teaching on discipleship. Because we said we wanted to make disciples. And I believe that as the numbers have increased in all of our churches I'll tell you honestly God is my witness I am not excited I am not excited because I don't know whether the increase in numbers has produced more disciples we can't how many people came for the conference? How many people are sitting in the church? Oh, we have to get more chairs. I tell you, God is not counting the chairs, He's counting the disciples. Do we have more disciples today in CFC than we had 70, in nineteen seventy five? I hope so. I have to say I don't know. In our churches today, as the numbers have increased, are they all disciples? Those people who have now started coming to your church, are they disciples? If they are not disciples, what type of denomination are you building? You're building another CSI church. You're building another Roman Catholic church. Ah, oh, come brother, come, 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 come. Yeah, they, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Come, we'll baptize you. Okay, come. You want to break bread? Here you are. Have you lost the vision? that we started with even in Tamil Nadu when we started twenty years ago in Tuticorin, in some of those other places twenty years ago have you lost that vision of making disciples and started glorying now just like all the other denominations in numbers, numbers you're excited with that God is my witness, I am not excited, I am concerned, I am not excited. Are these people disciples? All these people sitting there, like it says in Luke fourteen twenty six. do all of them hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters and their own life? Are they like that? Do they love Jesus more than father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, and their own life? If not, according to that verse in your Bible, they are not disciples. What type of people are you gathering in your church? What type of people? Are you trying to impress somebody that you got a big church? Or are you living before God's face? We've got to come back to that message we preached in the beginning. Discipleship. Jesus said, go into all nations and make disciples. People who love me more than they love their father and mother and brother and sister and wife and children. For whom I am supreme. Is Jesus supreme in your life? Are you Gathering in your church people for whom Jesus is supreme. Is that the message you are preaching? Or when you see the great multitude. Jesus also said, saw great multitudes coming in verse 25. Just like some of you are seeing great multitudes coming to your church. And when you see great multitudes coming to your church. Please do what Jesus did. Learn from him. And follow him. Speak what he spoke to the great multitudes. When he looked at the great multitudes coming. You know what he told them? Let me read you a verse in John's Gospel, chapter 6. John 6. John 6, and verse 26. Jesus said to them, You're not seeking me because you saw the signs and you want to follow me. No. You're seeking me because you ate the loaves and you were filled. You got some material blessing. You say, Brother Zach, it has gone so well with my family since I came to the church. My income has increased. I'm living in a much better house today. Then when I first came to the church, my children are wearing much better clothes today than when we first came to the church. My children are earning much better salaries today than when we first came to the church. I've got better vehicle today than when I first came to the church. You ate the loaves and you are filled. And this is what you call blessing. God have mercy on us and the Lord says, is this why you seek me? Is this your testimony at the end of so many years that you've got your stomach full of loaves and fishes and you've lost your vision of discipleship, you've lost that passion to follow after me? you lost the passion to learn from my feet day by day. The Lord says, think back to those early days. You didn't have much in those days. But you sought me. You fasted. You prayed. Now it's all gone. Now you spend your time with entertainment. Entertainments picnics not fasting you say we want relaxation life is so strenuous I'm looking forward to relaxation too in heaven not here you know what Jesus said my father is working. John 5.17 And I'm working. John 5.17 Do you know that God has had no Sabbath after the first one? God has had only one Sabbath so far. That's the one described in Matthew, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. The seventh day Genesis chapter 2, God rested. After that, he's had no Sabbath, because man sins. And, God, and Jesus said, they asked him, why are you working on the Sabbath? He said, I don't have any Sabbath. That was the question. They were accusing him because he was doing these things, verse 16, on the Sabbath, John 5, 16. And he said, I don't have a Sabbath. What do you mean Sabbath. He says, my father has had no Sabbath since the day Adam fell into sin. And I'm in fellowship with my father. I don't have any Sabbath. I don't have any time to think of all that. There's a world that is lost in sin. There are people in need. There are believers who are backslidden. There's churches that are carnal. Where is the time for a Sabbath? Sabbath. Where is the time for entertainment and picnics and relaxation when this is the condition of Christendom? When the name of Jesus is being dishonored in India? Where are you going for your holiday? Holiday. Jesus didn't have time for it. His holiday, he said, my food is to do the Father's will. When they asked him, have you eaten? He said, I've already eaten. My food is to do the Father's will. Have you had a holiday? Yeah, I've had a holiday. I did my Father's will. That was my holiday. Do you want to learn from him? There is a price to be paid to follow Jesus. Forgiveness of sins is free. But to follow Jesus, there is a price to be paid. To build a church, there is a price to be paid. To build a church of disciples, there is a price to be paid. How many of you are willing, I hope you young people are willing, to pay the price? Some of your fathers were willing to pay that price when they were young people, but they are backslidden today. You, be like your parents were when they were young, on fire for God,
1: devoted to Jesus.
0: like your, Not like your parents are today like your parents were once upon a time when they were young and devoted to Jesus. Dear brothers and sisters, be a learner, get rid of this desire to teach and to explain. You young people, don't become teachers, be followers. The best people in the church are the followers. Not the people who can explain all the doctrines and get up and say clever things in the meetings. Not even the elders. The followers. The best people in the church are the followers. Who say, Lord Jesus, I love you more than my father, mother, brother, sister, wife and children. Follow Jesus' example. It says in Mark chapter 3. Turn to Mark chapter 3. Those whom he wanted. And they came to him. Many people believed in him. But he called certain people and said, Listen, I want to commit myself completely to you fellows. You're only twelve. But that's enough. I'll turn the world upside down with you twelve because I'll commit myself fully to you. There are multitudes who believe in me and I can't commit myself to them. He called these twelve and he appointed them That they might first of all be with Him. Verse 14. They were appointed not to preach, not to teach, but to be with Him. And then, that they might go out to preach with authority. How can we preach with authority? They have to be with Him first. They had to be his disciples. They had to learn, follow. And he appointed the twelve. And when they saw, when Jesus' brothers, do you know Jesus had four brothers? Their names are James, Joseph, Jude, and I forget the fourth one. There were four brothers he had. His own blood brothers, the children of Mary, born after Jesus, Joseph's children. They got a bit jealous. Because they say, hey, this fellow is becoming famous. Our elder brother is becoming famous. He's having a ministry. People are accepting him all over the country. We are the ones who should get some honor. Along with him. After all, we are his closest relatives. But he doesn't choose us. He goes and chooses these twelve fellows from here and there. And he rejects us. We want some honour from our brother who's become famous. They never wanted him when he was not famous, but now that he was a bit famous and going around doing miracles and a lot of great people following, they said, We better get onto this bandwagon and get some honor ourselves. And so when he came home, verse 20, they, they had never seen anything like this. He came to his home and a tremendous multitude gathered around there and he didn't even have time to eat a meal. And do you know what his own brothers said then? It says they took custody of him. They grabbed him These four brothers of Jesus, they caught him and said, Come here, you fellow, you're off your head. You've lost your senses. Why did they get upset with him? Not because he wasn't eating his lunch. Oh no. It's because they did not get a part of the honor. I have seen some of my relatives who have come to this church who wanted honor in exactly the same way and got offended with me when I did not give it to them. I said, sorry, I don't have any relatives in the church. And just like Jesus, My biggest problem has been with my own relatives. It would have gone well with some of them if they were not my relatives. It would have gone well with these people if they were not the relatives of Jesus. Unfortunately, they were the relatives of Jesus. And they could not humble themselves and be ordinary people. They and they caught a hold of him and took him into custody and when people saw Jesus being held by his brothers the cult leaders came (laughs) this is all the same thing happens in the 1st century and the 20th century the cult leaders came they said hey we agree with you the cult leaders those days were the Pharisees they came down from Jerusalem verse 22 and they said that's right this fellow is possessed with demons he is the prince of demons He's not just lost his senses, like you people say, verse 21, he is possessed by Beelzebub. And they joined up with Jesus' relatives, the cult leaders and Jesus' relatives joined up, because Jesus refused to give them any place among his team of disciples. And then, anyway, he went on preaching and one day when he was preaching to the multitude, another time, somewhere else. Verse 31, this time his brothers took their mother along with them. They thought at least he listened to his mother. Verse 31, so his mother and his brothers now came. Arrived and they stood outside and they sent a little note up. We're waiting here. Can you please call, up, call us up to the platform? You know, mommy... And your brothers, James, Joseph, can you invite us to the platform and introduce us? Cat Jesus doing such a thing. <laughs> Cat Jesus doing such a thing to say, hey, this is my brother. Can you imagine? They didn't know him. He said, he's my mother and my brothers, verse 33. Look at these fellas whom I've chosen. Do you see Peter? you see Andrew? you see James? These are my brothers! And those people sitting there got furious. Twenty centuries later, it's the same story all over again. If you want to be a prophet of God, that's what you'll suffer. Whoever does the will of God, verse 35, is my brother, my sister, my mother learners. What do we learn from Jesus' example here? That my brothers are not my blood brothers and my relatives, but my those who do the will of God, the passionate disciples of Jesus. Not every Tom, Dick and Harry who comes to CFC and sits there and breaks bread. No sir. No, those are not my brothers and sisters. Jesus said, those who do the will of God. We have a lot of people sitting in our churches. We're not doing the will of God. They're just interested in making money. They're interested in getting a name for themselves. Jesus doesn't say, oh, these are my brothers because they all sit in CFC. No, sir. Those who are passionate to do the will of God, learn from Him to find your brothers Among those who are passionate to do the will of God. God is my witness that those brothers whom I have found in India and other places who are passionate to do the will of God are closer to me today than my own relatives and blood brothers and sisters. I am a disciple. I am following Jesus. Can you say that about yourself? Can you say today that those who are passionate to do the will of God in India are closer to you than your own relatives and blood brothers and sisters? Yeah, that's the test of discipleship. Are those the people to whom your heart is drawn and attached more than to your relatives? The first condition of discipleship is your attitude to your unconverted relatives, or to relatives who are born again but who have no interest in being disciples of Jesus. That's the test of whether. You, that's Luke fourteen twenty-six, and it's not just for you. Everybody in your church must be like that. But how can everybody in your church be like that if you yourself are not like that? If your relatives mean more to you than your then their fellow disciples of Jesus. I'm not saying everybody in your church, no. But those who are really disciples of Jesus. If your brothers, if your relatives don't mean more to you than the wholehearted disciples of Jesus and the whole-hearted disciples of Jesus in your church maybe only ten. Okay, ten. Jesus was talking about eleven. He was not talking about all the people who believed in him and I'm not talking about all the people who come to join our church and break bread with us, no. I'm talking about 10 people who are wholehearted disciples of Jesus. They mean more to me than my blood brothers and relatives. It's true. There are more than 10, praise the Lord. But is that true of your life? That is how we build the church of Jesus Christ. That's how we started out years ago. Have you lost that vision? Some of your relatives are compromisers and you still want to support them? You're a compromiser yourself. Why don't you stand for the truth? Why don't you stand for radical discipleship? I'm not saying neglect your father, mother, don't visit them. By all means visit them. By all means support them financially. Visit them, keep friends with them. If they are sick, take care of them. If they are helpless, bring them into your home and look after them till they die. Sure, I've looked after my parents. I would encourage you to do that. But, don't let them take your heart away from commitment to those who have become disciples of Jesus. Keep relatives where they belong. Don't let them take the place of your Fellowship with totally committed disciples of Jesus. There are many people who have not made that break in their life with their father, or mother, or wife, or children, or brothers, or sisters. It's sad. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying like the cult leaders say, don't have any more contact with your relatives. That's a cultism. It's a teaching of cultism. I say honor your father and mother, even if they are non-Christians. Respect them. Take care of them. But let your commitment be to the disciples of Jesus. If you're visiting some city and your father and mother is there, or your father-in-law or mother-in-law, go and stay with them. Don't burden the brothers in that church and go and stay with them. Go and stay with your father, father father-in-law, that's okay for such things, for earthly things like accommodation and all that, it's okay. I, I would do that. If I go to some other town and I've got my unconverted brother living there, I'll live with him. I won't burden the local brothers for all that type of stuff. That's all super spirituality. I'm not talking about this type of super spiritual garbage. People who practice that never build a church. I'm talking about Commitment to building the church. I don't build my church with my unconverted relatives. No. Those are for all the earthly practical things we do for one another. But when it comes to building the church, we're committed to those who are wholehearted, radical disciples of Jesus. We're not fanatics. We're not building a cult. We're balanced in our understanding of where church comes and where family comes, cults are extreme, compromisers never understand discipleship. You see there's a danger in not breaking that connection with our parents, that human soulish attachment because if you don't break that attachment And they are compromisers. That life flows into you. And you become a compromiser yourself. You know there's an Old Testament verse which says. Exodus chapter 20. Verse 3. I the Lord your God. Am a jealous God. Exodus 20 verse 5. Visiting the sin of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generation. So the Bible says I'll give you one more verse. Second Kings chapter 5 2 Kings chapter 5 verse 27 Gehazi told a lie and went after Naaman to get his money. He got his money, hid it, and came and stood before Elisha and told a lie to Elisha. And Elisha said, where have you gone? Oh, he said, I didn't go anywhere. Elisha said, don't try to fool me. You went after money. And you got Naaman's money along with Naaman's money you get his leprosy also, and not only you, verse 27, your children will get it also. And one day Gehazi's little boy, five-year-old boy says, Daddy, I've got a white patch on my hand. What do you think it is, Daddy? And Gehazi says, Son, that's leprosy. I got it too. How did you get it, Daddy? Son, I got it because I went after unrighteous money. But Daddy, I never went after unrighteous money. Why did I get it? Yes, he said, Son, it's because you're my son. How sad. Break that connection. Break that connection. Don't inherit What your parents got. We don't have to. They couldn't do it in the Old Testament. But we can in the new. See Ezekiel chapter 18. Look at this. Ezekiel 18. Verse 2. What do you mean, the Lord says, by using this proverb in Israel, The fathers ate sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. You know, like when you eat a sour mango, you know how your teeth get, you know how you get it, it's in this season right now. Mangoes, sour mangoes. And what the Lord is saying, why should the fathers eat sour mangoes and the children's teeth start getting sharp? Something wrong there. The father's teeth should get sharp. It's a proverb. Why should the children suffer for the parents' sins? And the Lord says, never. The children won't suffer for the parents' sins. It says here, if a man is righteous and practices righteousness, he will not suffer. See what it says here. Verse 20, the person who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity. No. How does this fit in with what we read in Exodus? It's all all scripture. You won't be punished for your father's sins. But if you respect him, when he did something wrong, and don't cut off that in your mind and say, I have nothing to do with that, you are accepting it. If your father practiced witchcraft, and you have nothing to do with it, you don't. You say, I renounce it. He may have been my father but I have nothing to do with it. I renounce it in Jesus name, you're free. But if you don't renounce it because you've got this tremendous respect for your father, you won't be a disciple, you may find that witchcraft affecting your family and your children. It's true, I've seen it happen. Or, I'll tell you another thing that I've seen happen, here's a father who's got a violent temper who has strife with his own brothers, what happens? There's strife in the next generation. And in some cases, the strife goes down to the third generation. Families get split up in the third generation. Until somebody says, I renounce this. I cut off myself from this. I'm a disciple. I hate father and mother. I want to be a disciple. It's actually true. I've seen the results of it. One day, I was born as a child of Adam. I was in a tree called Adam. My father was in it. My grandfather was in it. I was born in it. One day, Jesus cut me off and put me into another tree called Christ. I accepted it wholeheartedly. I say, I renounce my old family tree. This is my family tree now. Jesus Christ and those who do the will of God are now my brothers and sisters. I break all connection with whatever blood pressure or witchcraft or diabetes which my parents had. Why should I have it? It's true. Why should I have what my parents had? If I'm a disciple of Jesus, I've been cut off from that. If you say, No, brother, but medical science says it's okay, go ahead. According to your faith, be it unto you. You have what you believe. Somebody else says, No, Jesus has cut me off. I live by the life of Jesus today. I want to tell you, my brothers and sisters, I am not preaching theory. I don't have time to explain the details but I have experienced the life of Jesus in in areas where I should have been experiencing the life of Adam because I decided to be a disciple. I decided to cut off my connection with that old Adamic family tree because I now have a new family tree. Some of you, it will never go well with you till you make, break that decision. Remember what I said, I'm not saying don't honor your parents, don't care for your parents, do that. But have nothing to do with their sin. If your parents had witchcraft or strife, or they were angry people who wouldn't fellowship with their own siblings, renounce that spirit,
2: lest it flow
0: through you to your children. Tremendous blessings in being a disciple. It also says that to be a disciple I must hate my wife and children. It's easy to hate father and mother. I'll tell you that. A lot of people sitting here who hate father and mother. Who will never dream of hating their wife and children. Oh, that part of that verse 26 is cut off from their Bible. They're not disciples either it is a million times more difficult to hate wives and children than to hate father and mother. I'll tell you that. All of you who have been nodding your heads and saying Amen till now, you may find it a little more difficult now to say Amen to what I'm going to say. Do you know the number of believers I have seen in CFC and related churches who show partiality to their own children, who treat Other people's children different from their own children. You think that such people are disciples? Not in a million years. That's where discipleship comes. Where I treat my children exactly, exactly like everybody else's children. No partiality because my God has got no partiality. And I am a disciple of Jesus who showed no partiality. He turned around to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. How many of you, tell me honestly, make different rules for your children from the rules you have for other children? Are you a disciple? I'm not judging you. I'm asking you. I hope you can say, No, I don't show any partiality. I've never shown any partiality. God is my judge. I hope so. I hope the final videotape when it is played on the final day of judgment, will show that you never showed any partiality. And you elder brothers, be careful. Elder brothers, don't make different rules for your children than for other children in the church. Those children are your children. I remember the day when the Lord spoke to me about the children in CFC many years ago. The Lord said, don't forget they are your children. I said thank you Lord for that reminder. Are you partial to your wives? Do you listen to gossip from your wives? when you will not permit gossip from other people. I'm not talking about listening, I'm talking about being influenced by gossip. Are you influenced by gossip from your wife? What type of disciple are you? You can listen perhaps just to comfort her. If she wants to vomit, it's better she vomits onto your lap than to somebody else's lap, right? If your wife feels like vomiting all that rubbish isn't it better if she vomits onto your lap than some other uh, somebody else's lap? Right or wrong? Right. So please let her vomit if she wants to vomit, but please throw in, throw that vomit in the garbage. Don't lick it all up yourself. That's all I'm saying. She's a weaker vessel. Sometimes her heart is burdened. She wants to say different things. She's not open to opinion, express her opinion about various people. Listen to it. All means go to the garbage bin immediately after that. Further, take a good bath be clean you don't have to tell her maybe she doesn't have a light on gossiping like you have but don't be partial you'll never be a disciple you'll never build a church of disciples if you're partial we got to be radical wholehearted no partiality to our children God is my witness that as far as I can remember, I have never once shown partiality to my children in CFC in all these years. Nowhere. The rules were the same for them, same for everybody else. If they disobeyed it, I say, sorry, you disobeyed it. I'm a disciple. I don't just hate father and mother, I hate my children, my wife, everybody, because I don't want to end my life as a compromiser. How many of you want to be disciples? I told you, you won't be nodding your heads and saying Amen to all this. Brothers, sisters, do you have brothers and sisters in the church who are your special favorites? You will never say anything to hurt them or offend them? You'll never be a disciple, not in a million years. I'm sorry, I have no favorites. I will never have any favorites. I want to be a disciple till the end of my days. No brother in the church, no elder brother in the church is my favorite. In past years there were different people who thought, oh brother so and so, he's a favorite of brother Zach. Brother Zach will never do anything to him, that's what they thought till something happened to that person. Then they realized he was not a favorite of mine. Nobody is my favorite. I don't want to have any favorites. And I don't want to be your favorite either. I want you to be a disciple of Jesus. If somebody's wrong, he's wrong. If somebody's right, he's right. If my enemy is right, I have to say he's my enemy, but he's right. And this brother of mine, he's wrong. That is discipleship, where you love the truth. Imagine, not just one person, but making a whole church of disciples. You think that's easy? That's the most difficult thing on the face of the earth. And that's why we don't attempt it. He said, boy, if we have to make a church like this, <laughs> we may have only 10 or 12 people, but they'll be like the disciples of Jesus. That's better than your church of 200 compromisers any day. Brothers and sisters, I have preached to myself, don't think I'm preaching to you. I preached this to myself for years and I preach it to myself today. I have to fight the battle to love Jesus more than father, mother, brother, sister, wife, children, even today. And by God's grace, I'll battle it till the end of my life. Take that decision my brother, sister, come back to your first love. I know people in our churches who once upon a time said, Oh, we don't need college education till their own children grew up and went to college. Then they stopped speaking on that subject. There were other brothers who said, Oh, we shouldn't let anybody go to the gulf till they themselves got opportunities to go abroad. Then they changed their theology and said, Oh brother, what to do? I was wrong in those years. But you made people, so many people suffer in those years. And now you want to enjoy. Where in the world can God bless a hypocrite like you? Now, this is what's happening. And such people would not have the humility To accept the advice of older brothers who said, don't preach such stupid stuff, which is not in the Bible. No, they know. Brother Zach is not radical enough. He's allowing people to go to the Gulf. Where are these fellows going themselves today? And I'd like to see where they, what they do when their children want to go abroad. I'd like to see that. I'd like to see all these hypocrites who would never submit to authority who thought that they were big, wholehearted disciples who never break one single thing in their life, who made life miserable for so many people, trying to put all their legalistic rules, and now when it comes for them to have an opportunity to do something, they change all the rules. My brothers look wiser than you, and don't open your mouth and say things which afterwards you'll have to take back. Yeah, I've seen so many cases like that of people who think, saying fantastic things which they've never practiced. If you follow one simple rule, you will never go wrong. Preach what you have practiced. Don't talk about other people's children if your own children have not grown up. Just keep quiet on that subject. Wait till your children grow into their teenage years and into their twenties. Let's see if they've made a mess of their life or not. Then become the expert on teaching what other people's children should do. Till then, please keep your big mouth shut. Amen. Ten people said amen. Amen. (laughs) Okay, let's pray. (laughs) My brothers and sisters, I hope you didn't get a message of condemnation today. But a message of challenge. Challenge. To discipleship, to a coming back to your first love, to building the church of Jesus Christ the way it should be built, humbling yourself, being what God wants you to be. And if you miss the road somewhere, go back and take that road again. It's still the time of grace. It's time to follow. We want to learn from Jesus and follow Him. We want to learn from Jesus and follow Him. My brethren, don't be many teachers because you will receive a greater condemnation. Be a follower. A humble follower all your days. Get rid of that teaching spirit. It won't leave you unless you crucify it. And say, Lord, I want to be a follower. And your whole life will be transformed.
1: You are invited to visit our website on the internet at www.cfcindia.com That is www.cfcindia.com cfcindia.com and at punan.org forward slash zach that is p o o n e n dot org forward slash z a c for video messages audio messages and books by zach punan that can all be downloaded freely. Our mailing address is Christian Fellowship Center, 40 De Costa Square, Bangalore 560084, India. If you would like to receive a weekly message by Zach Punen by email, please go to our website and send us an email to the address given there. The Lord bless you richly.